today's learner, today's educated investor needs a lot of different ways to learn. They want to learn in various ways. So interactivity is key to that. People are always going to want to read a definition or watch one of our videos that kind of explains what compound growth works. I get that. But I said we have a stock simulator. It's one of our most popular pages on our site. Why? Because people are doing and they're learning by doing. And we are much more experiential in the way we learn today, whether that's through video, through interactivity like a simulator. And I think you should have simulators, not just calculators, but simulators for your financial life. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Caleb Silver, the editor-in-chief of Investopedia and the host of the Investopedia Express and the Green Investor Podcasts. Caleb began his career producing wildlife documentaries in South America and the American Southwest. His career in business news began at Bloomberg, where he worked as a senior television producer and was nominated for an Emmy Award in 2003. Caleb then joined CNN, serving as a senior producer for The Situation Room with Wolf Blitzer, as well as the executive producer of CNNMoney.com. Caleb and his team at CNN Money were nominated for an Emmy Award for new approaches to business and financial reporting. He then returned to CNN as the director of U.S. Business News. Caleb left CNN in 2014 to form Frog Pond Productions, a digital production and consulting company, and then joined Investopedia in 2016 as the editor-in-chief and senior VP of content. He also serves as the treasurer of the executive board of the Society for Advancing Business Editing and Writing. Caleb is frequently featured as a markets, economic, and consumer trends expert on NBC, MSNBC, ABC Radio, Marketplace Radio, and Cheddar TV, in addition to Markets Commentary in his daily newsletters. Listen in for some great takeaways about Caleb's journey in the media and how he feels financial advisors are making an impact on the financial world and the clients they serve. Well, hello, everybody. Larry Sprung here, and I have the distinct pleasure today of being with Caleb Silver, the editor-in-chief of Investopedia and the host of the Investopedia Express and the Green Investor Podcast. Thanks for joining us today, Caleb. I appreciate you being here. It's a pleasure to be with you. Good to see you. Yeah. So listen, obviously, I know a lot about you. Our audience may or may not because we do have advisors that listen to us, but we also have the general public, entrepreneurs, business owners, and investors. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about Caleb Silver and how you came to be the editor-in-chief of content for Investopedia? Yeah, I'm going to take you back, but I'll make it quick. I grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I was a documentary maker. I was in the restaurant business. I was doing all kinds of things that were not down this lane, but my father's an investment banker and I was watching him for years. I really didn't want to go into that business, but I was fascinated by the story of business. But my career really began again in restaurants and then as an environmental educational documentary maker 
traveled throughout Central and South America, making documentaries, making video campaigns for environmental groups. Came back to New York for grad school, went to NYU Journalism School, now the Carter Institute. And they had a really interesting internship program going on with Bloomberg TV at the time. Bloomberg TV was brand new. It's part of Bloomberg News. They were just launching the channel. I had learned the skills of shooting and editing and video production. So I was a pretty valuable intern to them because I could produce. I could actually make TV packages and put them on the air. And so I was in grad school, in journalism school, and interning at Bloomberg and doing some freelance work as a photojournalist. And then after grad school, did some work in the documentary space, but Bloomberg was staffing up and they had called me back and they said, hey, you want a job here as a producer? So I began as a TV producer at Bloomberg Television, was there for eight years, learned so much at Bloomberg, then was hired by CNN to basically run their business desk and then run business news outright for CNN. But a bunch of different stops along the way there, 10 years there, and then left to go back to documentary producing and noticed after a couple of years that IAC, Interactive Corp, owned by uh, Barry Diller, publicly traded company, had acquired Investopedia. And I had used Investopedia throughout my career as a business journalist, like a lot of us do. And I said, why in the world would IAC, which is a company I've been fascinated with for years, want to own Investopedia? And I did some investigation, knew a few folks in and around IAC, talked to them about it, met with the team at Investopedia, and they were looking for someone to run content and be the editor. And I was something I never thought I would do because I came from a news and documentary background. And Investopedia is very different. We'll get to that in a minute. But the more I spoke to them, the more I realized it was... A, in an enormous site with a huge legacy. We're 22 years old, which is like 220 years on the internet. <laughs> it has this very devoted readership all over the world of people who really rely on us and trust us growing all the time. And it was an opportunity for me to use my journalism skills in a way to actually help people through what we call service journalism. What do we do? We answer questions. You're looking for a definition? We have the answer. You're looking for the difference between a Roth IRA and a 401k? We have the answer to that question and it gets more or less complicated. We have thousands of that definitions like that. So when I realized this opportunity was there, the more I spoke to them, the more I was interested in kind of getting to know it and maybe working with them. Thought it would be a six-month deal, consulting and helping them get off the ground. Six and a half years later, I'm still here. That's how I got to Investopedia. Still here and it's been a wild ride. Amazing. So now I understand the connection between your Green Investor podcast and the work in Investopedia, because that's really where your roots came from, was in that environmental space, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I am not an environmentalist per se, but I do care about the environment and I do care about climate change and the impacts of climate change. And I married a conservation biologist. She is a PhD and very into that. Her work is around that and we talk about it a lot. So this was a way for me to come back to kind of one of the core passions that I had and keep learning about this space, green investing, ESG, SRI, impact, whatever you want to call it, but investing with an environmental conscious. That's why I launched that podcast. So this position as the editor-in-chief of Investopedia allows me to kind of do the things that I think are interesting too, while helping to serve our millions and millions of readers. All right. So Caleb, can you share with our audience, for those that don't know what and who Investopedia is, can you tell us who they are and how they serve the community? Are you investor-focused, advisor-focused? Where do you fall in that mix? Yeah, I think we're all of the above, but really we're talking to individual investors most of the time. We know a lot of financial advisors come to us as well, and we love financial advisors. We love to celebrate them through the Investopedia 100, and you are on the top 10 of that this year. So congratulations. Yeah, we'll be talking about that. Thank you. Absolutely. So we we have a lot of advisors that help us with our content and they're part of our network, but really we're talking to individual investors, retail investors. A lot of institutional folks use us too, but mostly for the educational part. And we are the largest 
sort of investing, finance, and business education site on the planet. And we've been around, as I said, for a long time, 22, 23 years. Let me give you the backstory on it because it's fascinating. Four guys in Edmonton, Alberta, in about 1988, 1999, had this idea to put uh, financial definitions and terms and test prep on the internet. And this was the early days, 1.0, Larry, you remember those days, <laughs> yeah. because this was the dot-com bubble. There was a lot of companies going public. There was sort of the advent of CNBC, Bloomberg Television, as I mentioned, where I was working at the time, CNN, FN. This was sort of the explosion of the media and retail interest in the stock market because we had pets.com and AOL and Lycos and all those companies to chase. So they realized that a lot of people were using the vernacular of finance and investing, but really didn't know what it meant. And it was kind of coming across the media as well. So they had this idea to start to put definitions on the internet and to put test prep for series seven, all the sort of serious exams. So if you wanted to get into the industry, not only could you learn through the encyclopedia as it were, but you could also prepare for test prep, CFA test prep as well. So they had this idea and they also realized there was a company in Mountain View, California called Google at the time. And those two guys at Google had this idea to index the internet. So they said, if we put our definitions on the internet and people start to use it and link to us, maybe this Google will index us and help people find us on the internet. Great idea. Great foresight. Great foresight. Absolutely. Great name too. Investopedia kind of means what it says. And they did that. And they owned it for about four or five years, built it up real nice, sold it off, I believe, to Forbes. Forbes had it for several years. Forbes then sold it to another company called ValueClick. They had it for a few years. So it's passed through a bunch of different hands. And then IAC, Interactive Corp., which is our grandparent company, well, we're owned by Dot Dash Meredith. IAC owns Dot Dash Meredith. So we're part of that, that ecosystem. They acquired it in a transaction and put it with dictionary.com, which is another search engine-based website, which gives you definitions. So it was in that group, that publishing group. And I came to it right about then, about six and a half years ago. And that's when sort of we, through all these different hands, Larry, different owners have added different aspects to investopedia.com. So retirement, a lot of personal finance, taxes, small business, the gamut. We added crypto, of course. Every new asset class that pops up, we have to add to it. So it's passed through a lot of different hands. But this is sort of the most stable leadership team we've had in a long time, six and a half years, where I've been there. and We've built a nice team. So we are now part of the Dot Dash Meredith family of websites, which includes The Balance, which includes VeryWell.com, The Spruce. And we acquired Meredith at the end of last year. So now we're the biggest publisher in North America with a lot of great titles. We're in this great big publishing family, which is great for us because, you know, it's nice. We were out there on our own for so many years. But it's nice to sort of be a part of a family where you have a lot of the services and the brands you can play with as well. So that's sort of the evolution of Investopedia.com. And as I said, we're serving about between 20 and 22 million monthly visitors. People come to us, again, to learn, to look something up. But we also have a very popular stock simulator on our site where people learn to trade, paper trade, right? No money, but you learn how to trade. You learn how the options market works. You learn the definitions, you learn technical analysis. So we have that as well, in addition to lots of journeys about life stage planning or how to hire a financial advisor like Larry, different things that an individual investor would want to know from 18 to 80. I didn't realize about the test prep part way back when. Is that no longer part of the package, I would imagine, or is it? We still have a lot of that content on the site, but we don't have the prep exam right. for the CFA. We have, here's what you need to know. And then here we have the breakouts of the different categories. But you could use us if you're studying for the CFA or even the CMT. Uh, you could use us to sort of as your sort of handy encyclopedia or your 
you know, your textbook to help you get ready for it. But there's other ways to obviously get ready for those exams and they're super intense, as you well know. So that was a really smart idea for them to put that there because not only were they teaching individual investors how to invest, they were teaching uh, practitioners how to, uh, you know, join the industry in whatever level they wanted to join it. So we have that as well. Um, And we have news too. We've been doing news for a long time and we're not a news site by any means, but we try to do news, Larry, through the educational uh, glasses. So we call it edu news. So we'll, we'll have Apple's earnings. It's on our site right now, but we try to tell you what's important about Apple's earnings, the key areas where uh, Apple has the, you know, the greatest profit uh, margin growth, the key areas to focus on as you look at Apple uh, versus just the, the straight news story that you'll see across a lot of other sites. We don't really compete in news, but it's part of our ecosystem. Sure. And listen, full disclosure, we use your site all the time to look at various things. We've used it to cite certain things. I think most recently I did a blog on Roth IRAs and we took a piece out of there because I find your site does a really good job sometimes or a lot of times of breaking down complex topics into easily digestible pieces that just about everybody can understand. So we certainly link back to you quite often and share those links with our clients and the families that we serve. So listen, having spent time at CNN and Bloomberg, you've seen a lot in the financial space. Can you share your view of how financial media has changed over the last couple of decades? I mean, I think you alluded to like 200-year span in that 20-year. It feels that way sometimes. There's been a lot of change there. How do you feel things have changed in the media end of things? Well, financial media, let's focus on television, the area that I came out of for now started off and sort of still is in a lot of ways. If you look at CNBC or if you look at Fox Biz or Bloomberg TV, some of it is like sports programming in a way. It's the Super Bowl. It's a football game. It's the pregame, which is the pre-market. It's the kickoff opening bell. Every day though, right? It's the halftime report, power lunch, whatever you want to call that. It's final hour, five for last quarter, and then the close and then the post game and the analysis, right? So it really hasn't changed that much format-wise when you look at television. It's gotten smarter in a lot of ways. And I think Bloomberg and Fox Biz and CNBC do a pretty nice job of it. But a lot of the time, I felt this way for a long time when I was doing it, they're talking to the choir. They're talking to a very narrow set of people who are engaged investors, be they individual investors, retail investors, traders, or institutional investors, and financial advisors. They are talking to a sort of a set group. It's not mass market media like you would think think of some of the networks and what they do. But for a reason, it's very specific. We're talking about business news. We're talking about the markets. We're talking about the economy. So a lot of that hasn't changed. What's really changed is what's gone on sort of online off of the linear TV screen. And that's become a lot more interesting because it's not just news organizations or news education organizations like ours who are putting out media. You're putting it out. Fidelity's putting it out. We're seeing everyone as a content creator right now trying to be thought leaders, trying to tell their story of how money works to their specific audiences. And in that way, it's got a lot more interesting. It's also gotten a lot more competitive. Yeah. So to dovetail that, the social media part, right, that's also had this impact, right, from twofold, right? You have now this immediate and the Internet, too. You have this immediate access to information, right? Years ago, if the Fed came out with an announcement, 
before it was all over the internet, you'd have to be tuned into either one of the news stations or even before it was heavily covered on TV, you'd have to wait for the nightly news or something like that. There's now this immediate access to information and it's immediately put out. That's one thing. And then the second thing, you now have this crop of folks that may not even have any kind of ties or expertise or credentials in the industry that are talking about the markets or individual stocks or things that are going on, the meme stocks, for example. What do you feel and how do you feel that's affected the average investor? What's your view on that, those two things? Well, you make a good point because there are a lot of people with platforms much bigger than CNBC, much bigger than the Wall Street Journal. And these are just regular folks who have become influencers in the space, whether they're day traders like Anthony Pompliano or my friends that Earn Your Leisure, Troy and Rashad who have their incredible podcast and academy. They built an entire academy. One of them was a physical education teacher. The other is a financial advisor. But these are guys who wanted just to get out there and storytell and build an audience. They built these massive platforms. I think it's a very good thing because it shows anybody that anybody can do it. At the same time, you got to have your filters on whoever you're listening to, whether it's the Wall Street Journal, the FT, the day trader with 150,000 people watching their YouTube show every day. You have to have your filters on. You have to know what you're getting into. So you're going to get that in any type of a market, shock callers, street callers, people uh, shouting out the latest, hear ye, hear ye, whether that's happening in the tulip market or the meme stock market or the crypto market, that's just a part of the deal. This is a marketplace. So I think it's good that there's a lot of engaged people in it. I think it's also important that investors are smart and educated so they know how to filter messages so they can do the right thing with their money. Yeah. So we've talked to a couple of folks about this. Do you think that there should be any type of certification or some type of licensing for people to be able to talk about the financial markets? Or I'm getting the sense that you feel like basically it should be on the investors and the public to kind of filter that out to determine who has credentials, so to speak, and who to listen to and who to not. Is that a fair assessment? Or Yeah. I mean, look, you could say the same thing about chefs. Do you have to have certain credentials to be a great chef and open a restaurant that everybody loves? No. You just need to know how to cook food that people like to eat. And chefs don't need a credential. It's good to go to culinary school. It helps you build those skills. It's great that I went to journalism school and it's great that I worked at Bloomberg, which was a deep dive into business news and education, but I didn't need to do those things to be able to do what I do today. It was very helpful to me, but nobody's looking at me, especially when I appear across media and I do a lot of media appearances. I'm not a PhD in economics. I'm not a CMT. I'm not a CFA. I'm not a financial planner. I'm the editor-in-chief. I don't think you need that. I just think it is on the investor to make sure that they have their smart glasses on. So when they're listening and they're watching somebody, they can really interpret it in a way that makes sense to them. I agree. I think we should get more of those smart glasses and start handing them out, though, to make it a little bit easier for everybody. But that's a whole different story. We offer them for free at Investopedia. (laughs) There you go. There you go. So go to Investopedia. They're very helpful in that regard. So you mentioned it earlier, and Caleb, for me, personally be recognized Investopedia 100 was truly humbling and really provided a lot of validation for the hard work that our stakeholders here at Midland put in each day for the families that we serve here. And I would love for you to to spend a few minutes, if you could share, what's the selection process for the Investopedia 100? And why is the Investopedia team so passionate about content creation? Because I think that's one of the components of the selection process that's involved. So what's the process there? Right. Well, 
Congratulations again. So we're thrilled for you. And it's not like we just hand these out. People earn this distinction and it's ours and it's ours alone and it's about influence. So let's get to what that actually means for us. We at our core and deep in our souls are about financial education and literacy for everyone, right? We want everyone to get smart and get smart about their money and learn about it. We think that there's a lot of ways to do that, but we think financial advisors are a great conduit for that. And financial advisors like you and a lot of the planners out there, folks on the 100, but the 100,000 of you independents that are out there are doing the work to try to educate your clients, your communities, your fellow advisors, and just make the industry better. So I think we're very simpatico in that effect. And we know a lot of advisors use Investopedia. And for a long time, we had a platform where advisors were answering our reader questions. Like We love celebrating those advisors who are kindred spirits with us, who want to make people smarter about money, not just so they can make more money as an advisor, but it's great that they build their business, but they can make other people to get smarter so they can build wealth. That's what we're all about as well. So we decided, I think it was six years ago, that we wanted to celebrate advisors in a way that was unique to who we were and what we were all about. So we came up with the idea for the most influential financial advisors, which is not about assets under management. It's not about client turnover. It's not about whether your portfolios beat the S&P 500 or pick your index. That There are plenty of other publishers and plenty of other media organizations that celebrate that. And that's a very different thing. And I respect it. That's not what we're about. That's not who we are. P.S. It's very hard to judge and actually figure out performance and things like that. And we don't care about that as much as we care about who's doing the work to actually improve the industry and to help their clients' lives and actually improve their communities. So that's what it's really been about. So over the years, we developed a methodology and a matrix of looking at not only your social media presence, but what are you putting out there? Where are you putting it? Who is amplifying your message? So you could tweet or put something on your LinkedIn or your Instagram. We want to see that other advisors are reading it and engaging and picking it up and sharing it. So we actually have a very complicated, dynamic looking matrix of who's sharing whose content in the financial advisor world. I love looking at it because it shows you who those beacons of education and light are out there in the industry. So we look at that. And we also have, as you know, financial advisors nominate other advisors who they think are influential. We take that very seriously. To us, one of the most important measures of influence are what your colleagues think about you. And not just Larry's a nice guy, you are a nice guy, but are you doing the work that they see and respect and also want to share with their communities and their networks? That's very important to us as well. And we're also looking at the overall impact of what you're doing. Like, what are you when you are sharing? What is it that you're sharing? Is it about making people smarter? Is it about the educational aspects of things that are going on in the market, in the economy right now, in financial planning, on the regulatory front? That's the type of thing we're looking at. So it's a pretty intense process when we gather all this information. You have to apply it to this, by the way, but don't just go out there and select people. It's an application process, but we got hundreds and hundreds of them. And then we're looking advisor by advisor. What are they up to? It takes us several months to kind of get that list toned in. At the end of it, we come up with our top 10 list and the 100, and we love to celebrate it. It's my favorite part of the year because you guys are so into it and your colleagues are so into it. It's just this celebration that just starts building like a big snowball running down the hill. And it's just all about joy and really at its core, celebrating financial literacy and education. Yeah. You know, listen, I got that email from you and I was over the moon. I have to tell you, I was really, really happy when I saw that come in. 
And I think going back to the question about how things have changed in social media, 10, 15 years ago, although we all wanted to be educators and educate our communities, et cetera, it was so much more difficult to do that unless you could get a radio show or get a TV spot. It was hard to do that. But now with the advent of online and social media, it's very easy to kind of have that presence and be able to share that information with your community and educate them and talk about topics that are important to them. So I encourage everybody, if you're not doing it, it's something you should be doing, because I think as we elevate the baseline of our communities and we educate them, it just raises the bar for financial literacy across the board, and it will raise the profession that we all love and we're in to a much higher level. So that's kind of the stance that we take, and we'll continue to put out that content and that information alongside what Investopedia has to offer, because I think they're very complimentary. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I'll say about it as well, Larry, is that it's not just put everything out. It's putting things out that are organic to who you are as a practitioner, as a planner, as an advisor, as a company, because not everybody can be as big as our Josh Brown, our good buddy, and the Ritholt family. They've built an entire network. They're really focused on that, and they do it their way. You have to do it your way, to quote Frank Sinatra, and it's got to be organic to who you are and the message you're trying to get across and the community you're addressing, whether it's your clients or even your community where you live or where you operate. And I know you have a lot of passion projects. That's important to us as well. But you got to be you. You can't be somebody else. You can't be you trying to be somebody else because that's not what people want. They want to know who you are. Yeah. Plus that comes through and then it's very easily smoked out, I think. But your work puts you in touch, obviously, with a lot of financial advisors. So if somebody's listening here and thinking about hiring an advisor, what's the best advice you could provide them in terms of finding a good fit for them and their family? Yeah, I went through the process myself and I know the community pretty well. So I knew people I could go to right off the bat, but I also wanted to do the work that we actually prescribe on Investopedia. We have an entire journey of articles about how to hire a financial advisor. And it really starts with those baseline questions. A, are you ready? And I think everybody is ready. And it's not like you need millions of dollars to do it or to be an accredited investor. But are you ready in that stage of your life? Have you taken that inventory of who you are, where you are? And not only that, what does it cost to be you? And I think a lot of times when you do this on your own, it's very hard to figure those things out. You don't know. Maybe you make a spreadsheet and you know your P&L for the month or what you spend here and there. So it's who you are, what does it cost to be you, but also more importantly, what does it cost to be the you you want to be, you and your household, you and your family. We want these, we have these goals, whether it's buy that house, have another second house somewhere else, send the kids to college, pay down debt. So what is the goal? And financial advisors are very good at helping you establish that. So you want to try to, as you look for one, have these conversations, call them pre-interviews or go through their questionnaires and see if they're asking you the right questions that are making you look inside yourself and have those conversations with your family that open up the things you had no idea about. Because as individual investors, we don't know what we don't know. And by having the conversation, whether it's through the intake forms or just an interview with you, if I was interviewing you to be my advisor, I would want to hear the questions you were asking me. Are they thought-provoking? Are they the ones that really open the doors in my mind to the financial future I want to have? That's, to me, fundamental to everything. And then, as you know, Larry, your industry is more about holistic financial planning. Like You may be the greatest investor and portfolio constructor and put together the best ETF gumbo I've ever seen. 
that's cool. But I have a lot of other needs, right? I have tax needs. I have insurance needs. I have a couple kids going to college. So for me, financial planning, financial advice is holistic. Which firm or firms are out there that can satisfy your needs? And they're all different. Some specialize in working with dentists. Some specialize in working with people in the tech industry. Some specialize in working with 50-year-olds like me that have a couple of kids and are thinking about how to plan my next stages in life. So that's core as well. Who does it holistically and who's asking me the right questions that are making me think about the financial future that I want to have. Are there any things that would come across in those conversations that you would tell somebody listening today that if you heard this, this is something that I would walk away from? Is there anything that comes to mind in that regard? Well, the early upsell is never attractive or fun. (laughs) So you want an advisor who's really listening to you and really wants to get to know you. And as soon as they start upselling, it's just like, you know, walking into a car dealership, but obviously not. This is your financial future. So anybody boasting about performance, our portfolios have beaten the S&P or the Russell 2000, whatever it is, for the past 10 years. Cool, right? But sometimes we've been in a basically, except for the last seven or eight months, pretty much a roaring bull market for the last 10 or 15 years. So congratulations. I could have just bought the index and <laughs> done that myself. And right. you don't want that to be the crux of the conversation. You know it when you hear it. You know it when you have those conversations. Are they talking to me? Or are they trying to get me to bet on their ability to pick stocks or ETFs so they can get more of my assets under management? Those are obvious things. You know them when you see them or when you smell them. And that's when you should walk away. I agree. We always talk about the planning. The planning is the most important because it doesn't matter what the investments are doing. If you don't have a good plan in place, it's still not going to work out probably to be a successful venture for you. So I agree with you 100%. So you're in the midst of the space. How do you see media and financial media changing in the future? What's your vision in that regard? Well, I think that we had a lot of new investors and traders come into the market over the last couple of years through the pandemic, obviously. I saw a lot of them washed out in the last six or seven months. If you look at trading activity, if you look at what's going on among the online brokers or just in the space in general, you know that wave came and went, but it's going to come back in some form or another. And we don't know what that asset class is or what the impetus for that's going to be. So there's going to be another wave of engaged investors, and that's just the way things go. But today's learner, today's educated investor needs a lot of different ways to learn. They want to learn in various ways. So interactivity is key to that. People are always going to want to read a definition or watch one of our videos that kind of explains what compound growth works. I get that. But I said we have a stock simulator. It's one of our most popular pages on our site. Why? Because people are doing and they're learning by doing. And we are much more experiential in the way we learn today, whether that's through video, through interactivity, like a simulator. And I think you should have simulators, not just calculators, but simulators for your financial life. And a lot of the good financial advisor planning platforms are good at this, but individual investors don't get their hands on those until they sign up with an advisor because they're expensive, but those are very good. But I'd like to see more interactivity, more simulation. If I walk down these doors, if I open this door, these are the possibilities. If I decide to buy here instead of rent, this could be the potential outcome. If my portfolio mix looks like this, and then I add this on the other side of it, what's that counterweight going to do to me given returns. But I want to be able to do that across my financial life. So it's not just my portfolio or it's not just my mortgage calculator. It's got everything because that's the way you're practicing as a financial planner and advisor. That's what I want as a learner. I want to be able to do those things myself so that I'm more informed to make decisions. And I'm more informed if I'm working with an advisor to make better decisions along with my advisor. So you feel that you're going to see more of that integrated into the media and then the ecosystem out there for investors to utilize? Absolutely. You're already starting to see it. We're doing a lot of work. We just updated our simulator to make it a little bit smarter. But I think investors 
want that these days because we just, you know, we're learning by looking at our phone. We're learning by working on our laptop. Maybe we're watching interactive TV at the same time. Maybe it's a podcast that we're doing with an exercise, but media is coming to us in all different types of formats right now. And the educational aspect of it has to speak in all those different languages in ways that make sense to the 21st century investor. Amazing. So listen, you've had a huge career, long career. What's the most interesting thing you've experienced during in the profession during your career? Well, I have been in the business a long time, 25 plus years in financial media. So I saw the boom and bust of 1999, the great financial crisis of 2007, 2008, obviously the pandemic and the stops and starts of that. They've all been fascinating in various degrees, but I've also had a front row seat at some huge news events in my career because I worked for CNN, not just in business news, but I was running the assignment desk there and I was at Bloomberg, sadly, during 9-11. So I was a part of that experience as well. But I'll never forget when I was at CNN, I was part of the team that helped launch the Situation Room with Wolf Blitzer. And that was happening at the same time as pretty much Hurricane Katrina. So covering that in real time and going down to the oil platforms and watching them evacuate and seeing this entire city and this entire area devastated by a natural disaster, and then covering it in real time and being a part of that storytelling, which was devastating. But also, if you're a journalist, and if you're a broadcast journalist, especially who's out there on the front lines with the cameras, that was pretty intense for me and unforgettable. But I've had a lot of that. And I've been able to be a part of history as a journalist. And that's just been a real gift to me. I never thought that would happen. Remember, I started in the restaurant business in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I didn't know if I was just going to end up making great breakfast burritos for the rest of my life. And the next thing you know, I'm covering some events that have changed our world. And then I've had the privilege of being able to interview some incredible people along the way, not just in business news, but some historical figures. Yeah, all of that gives you a tremendous amount of perspective, I've imagined, especially being in that environment during like a situation like Katrina. It gives you a lot of perspective and be able to be medium that's delivering that to the world is, I'm sure it was pretty fascinating. So thank you for sharing that. So what's up next for Caleb Silver? What's next big things on the horizon for you? Well, I'm having a lot of fun in my role as the editor-in-chief of Investopedia. I get to sort of be the brand spokesperson and the spotlight on the cool things that we're doing beyond how most people experience us. So most people experience us because they're going to a search engine like Google or Bing or what have you, and they're looking up a definition and they're coming to us or they're asking their smart device for a definition. That's how a lot of people come to us at first. But I get to do the things that are outside of that. So we get to survey our readers. We have 1.5 million daily newsletter readers. We run surveys every eight weeks on their sentiment. I get to do that, talk to our readers, and then take those results and put them on financial media. We get to partner with a lot of our new brothers and sisters in the Dash Meredith family. So I just did something interesting with food and wine on wine investing. That's just such a great opportunity and so much fun. I'm getting to play a lot with the other brands that we're now in the family with. That's a lot of fun. That's cool for us because we realize there's a lot of crossovers and a lot of cross interests among our audience. And I get to be the guy that's out there talking about what we do, whether I'm on the conference circuit, on podcasts like yours, my own pods, or I'm on TV. I do TV 10 times a week or radio. I get to be that person. It's a pretty cool job. And you know this, and I'm in my low 50s, but to be able to do what you enjoy doing with really smart people, spreading a message that you believe in, and to be compensated for that at our age, my age, I think that's an absolute gift. So I'm pretty happy with where I'm at right now, but I do have some passion projects on the side. And I started, as I said, as a documentary filmmaker. I'm back on the side doing some films now, shooting actual movies, short films, and I'm producing them in New Mexico. 
So the next chapter I'd like to develop alongside what I do is just to have this on the side because I love that creative outlet that is so very different from my day-to-day in financial media. We're making a horror movie last summer. Yeah, we made a short horror movie. We're making a comedy this summer, putting them on the festival circuit. And it's just exercising a part of my brain that I haven't had been able to exercise in a long time. And I love that. My plate is full right now. My cup runneth over and good things are happening. And we're really fortunate. We're one of those media companies that stayed in its lane that was also taken in by a great parent company at IAC and then brought into the Dot Dad Schmeredith family where we're doing well and we're not constantly worried about the next format change or big big change in media that's going to potentially knock us out. We've been here for a long time and that's a great place to be as a media organization because there's so much uncertainty in our business. And I'm fortunate enough to be the editor-in-chief of a brand that people trust with a huge audience that just keeps growing. So I'm pretty happy with where I'm at right now. Yeah, you've really carved out your niche, which is great, right? And you sit right there and you provide a lot of value. And I think the description of what you're doing today and how you're doing and all the joy you're getting from it doesn't even sound like work to me. And that's really the ideal situation, I think. And I think our listeners should all strive to have a situation where at the end of the day, end of the week, end of the month, year, that they could say that same thing, that they're energized, that they're having fun, they're enjoying it, getting compensated for it. And I think that's amazing stuff that everybody should strive for or hold on to if they already have. So Caleb, it's been a pleasure having you on. And we end every show by asking each of our guests the same question, which is, because this is the Midland Money Mindset, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? Well, I had an early morning jump rope workout session with a couple of my buddies who I've been working out with up in Harlem here in New York for about the last 10 years. We were gym rats together, early 5.30 in the morning crew. Haven't been going to the gym, obviously, in a couple of years, but we get together every few days for a really intense jump rope in the park session, full workout. That got me going, had a good smoothie, and so I'm fired up. I got a full day ahead of me, but this has been a great way also to start the day, just spending some time with you, Larry. I really respect what you do. I've enjoyed getting to know you over the last couple of years. And again, a hearty congratulations for me and the entire team on the Investopedia 100. Yeah, thank you so much for that, Caleb. And I've never done a jump rope workout. I may have to give that a try. It sounds interesting and sounds fun and sounds different, which I may have to give it a try. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for, again, those congratulations. It's a great honor for me to be included on that list on the 100 and then to be in the top 10. I'm very humble and grateful for that. If people will have all your information in the show notes, but if people want to find you, Investopedia, connect, learn more, What's the best and the easiest place for them to do that? Yeah, I'm the easiest person in the world to find right now, especially (laughs) on Investopedia. So Investopedia.com, our About Us page has my bio there, links to my social media handles, also in my email there if you want to email me. So you can come at me that way. You can DM me. I'm at Caleb Silver on Twitter, on Instagram. We're at Investopedia across all those platforms and on TikTok where we're doing just a lot of explainers. And we're the explainers-in-chief. I'm the editor-in-chief, but the explainer-in-chief. So you'll find me across all those platforms. And then the Express podcast, the Investopedia Express, wherever you listen to podcasts, and the Green Investor, also wherever you listen to podcasts. So very visible, very easy to find. And please, we love talking to folks that interact with Investopedia. If you have any questions, we are an open book or an open website, so to speak. There you go. And I suggest you check them out. If you're going through your day and you hear a term you're unsure of, what it is, what it may be, how it works, go to investopedia.com, check it out. There's usually a very easy explanation 
and description of it, and you'll walk away a lot more knowledgeable than you did when you went to the website. So thank you so much, Caleb, for being here. I appreciate it greatly and make it a great day. Thanks. You too. Thanks for having me. I want to thank Caleb Silver for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Caleb has found his calling working with advisors and providing financial information for investors everywhere. Caleb and Investopedia are committed to helping investors understand topics in easily understood terms. This is very similar to Midland's commitment to break down complicated financial topics for all to understand. Caleb and Investopedia can be found across all social media platforms and all the contact information needed to find them can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.